Thanks, that means. Yeah, just put it, just drop it. That's how you do it, man. You just gotta, that's what you're supposed to do. The, uh, hey, listen, I'm encouraged uh, to see each of you here, uh, those that are online as well, tuning in and, and logging in. I uh, just encouraged to be uh, alongside this journey with you. Uh, I don't do this very often, but I, uh, I was really encouraged. Don, brother, you, you encouraged my heart this morning. Uh, I don't want to call you out. I don't want to call people out. You get, people get nervous, like, what's Brian going to say, that kind of thing. But, brother, seeing you this morning uh, encourages my faith, and I am glad to see you. It's good to see you. If you don't know Don Lawrence's story, uh, he's a miracle walking right now. And uh, it's very good to, to be encouraged by you. So, uh, anyway, again, I'm not going to call anybody else out. I promise you I won't do that, embarrass you or anything else. But, uh, brother, it's just good to see you. It's good to see you. I do want to encourage us all to grab our Titus journals if you have those. Uh, if you're online, they're online as well. If you don't have a Titus journal or if you need a new one, if you forgot it, they're back on those back tables. Uh, and you're not going to offend me if you jump up and grab one of those. There's also pens back there if you want to be taking notes along the way as we go. Uh, but part of our apprenticeship to Jesus is to sit regularly at the feet of, uh, at the foot of, of Scripture, to allow it to teach us and to allow it to shape and to, and to mold us, to allow the Scripture to be our guide and how we are to live our life the way God has always intended us to live. This abundance and, and goodness and life-giving life that God has called to give us, that Scripture is our guide. It is our authority and is regularly, uh, it's good for us to regularly come under its teaching and to submit ourselves to it, uh, and we invite us all this morning to just recognize that it's pr the presence of God is here to speak to us, to, to not just hear a few words and not just to talk a few things, but to recognize the Spirit of God in the Scripture to be alive and working in our midst to move and to shape us along the way. And I recognize that on a day like today with all the snow we've had and all the various other things this past week that might seek to distract us, our minds may be busy with things. Our minds may be uh, moving along the way and just kind of uh, distracted by one, two, three, or five various things going on. But I wanted to invite us to be receptive to what the Lord may be teaching us individually and collectively through the written Scripture that we are going to talk about in Titus here. So here's what I'm going to ask us to do. We do this from time to time. But I'm going to invite you, before I jump too deep into the Scripture and into the teaching this morning, just take a pause for a moment and to recognize the powerful presence of God in our midst to teach us what he would want us to know. And so here's what I'm advised to do. Just take a quiet, just a moment of deep breath and to recognize the presence of God and say silent prayer along this line. To just say something along the lines of this. Say, speak God for I am listening. Just speak for I am listening. Whatever you have to teach me today, I want to hear it. Okay, so let's do that real quickly. I'll do it with you. Uh, then we'll jump in. Amen. 
Well, if you've been tracking with us in the book of Titus so far, you will remember that last study, last part that we were jumping in, Paul had just reminded or just given instructions to his young friend Titus about how to teach people to live lives that are according to what Paul says is sound doctrine. Or in other words, a right set of teaching that is in alignment with the goodness and the teachings of who God is. That we are to teach people how to live lives that are according to God's standard, according to God's ways, according to his character. And what we said last week is if you, if you were a follower of Jesus, then you are not just a follower of Jesus, but you are the clearest picture that some people will ever see of Jesus. That if you claim to be a follower of Christ, whether you've been following him for minutes or for decades, you're not just a follower of Jesus, but you are the clearest picture that some people will ever see of Jesus. And we are to live lives that put God's life on God's way on display for others. That's what it means when Paul says to live lives that are according to sound doctrine. That our lives and the way in which we live ought to be reflective of God's character. That it ought to put that on display for others and that it would be attractive to others. That we would show forth God's goodness in the way in which we live and the decisions we live and the decisions we make and the kinds of things that we're known by, it would be a, a life that is in alignment with God's goodness that we go from there. But there's also this temptation for us to, if we're going to live a life that is according to God's standards or a life that's worth living, a, a good life, there's a temptation for us to kind of take the reins in our own hands and to try and force ourselves and to kind of manufacture our life to kind of make sure that we're doing the right things and do all the good things and stay off the naughty list and do all those things. And if we're not careful in our life with God, then we'll slip into kind of a works-based religion where our life with God is more about what we do and making sure that we do all the right things and not about an interactive life with God where we're interacting with Him on our daily basis. And Paul had just finished teaching Titus and said you need to teach people to live lives according to sound doctrine. So he just finished that. But in order to stay away from a works-based religion, then Paul addresses this need of ours, and he addresses it right in the midst of our passage this morning. And he says that a life that is well-lived, a life that is in God's kingdom, a life that is on display for others to see, is a life that is going to be founded in grace. A life that is founded in the grace of God. And there's some important theological truths that we'll understand about grace this morning, that it's not a works based to make sure that we do enough or check enough boxes or make sure that we're staying off the bad things and onto the good things, but this is a life of grace, life with God, a life well lived, a life that is all that God has ever always intended us to live is a life of grace, a life full of grace. And before we see what Paul says about grace, it's good for us to have a working definition of what we mean by grace. We've said this before, but it's a good thing to be reminded of. And again, if you've got these journals and you're a note taker, this is one I would highly recommend you write down. That a good definition of grace is God acting on our behalf to do for us that which we cannot do for ourselves. Grace is God acting on our behalf to do for us what we cannot do on our own. That's grace. That's grace. It's unmerited, which means you didn't earn it. 
It's simply his love that has motivated his action in our life. And so a proper response to grace, God's activity on our behalf to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, a proper response, really the only proper response is to receive it in humble gratitude. This is why pride and arrogance and boasting is not consistent with a life with God. Prideful, arrogant boasting is not consistent with a life of grace because we recognize it's God's activity in our life to do for us what we cannot do or would not do for ourselves. And all of our life is grace. Is grace. So in our passage, Paul lays out not only that a life that's worth living, a life that's well lived, a life under God's kingdom is founded by grace, but he also kind of nuances about what grace does, about how it is well lived, how we can live a life full of grace. One of the ways he nuances this is he tells us that grace brings salvation. It is God's activity, active life, or active in our life to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That is what brings salvation. In verse 11 from our passage, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. The grace of God that has appeared, that offers salvation for all people. I love how Paul writes about grace here and about salvation. That salvation is offered by grace. It's God's activity on our behalf to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. We don't go out and get salvation for ourselves. We don't go out and get forgiveness for ourselves. We don't go out and manipulate God to force him to love us and accept us on ourselves. It's all grace. It's God acting on our behalf to do for us what we could not or would not do on our own. That is salvation. That is the restoration of our life. That is eternal life. It is grace. Forgiveness and establishing us in this eternal kind of life, both now and resting into the rest of eternity, is all God's activity on our behalf to do for us what we could not or would not do on our own. We are saved by grace. By grace. We are incapable of saving ourselves. God had to work on our behalf to send Jesus. To be willing to die on a cross as a sacrificial lamb. And it was the power of God, the grace of God, to gloriously raise him from the dead. All of that is grace. All of it is grace. Paul says it is the grace of God that has appeared in Jesus to do for us what we could not do, to offer salvation to all people. This is what we call in the church world, this is what we call the gospel. The good news. The life with God is available through the person Jesus. And that we are able to live the life we were always created to live, fulfilling this deep longing for meaning and purpose. And we have this blessed hope of eternal life. That's grace. Grace offers salvation. We didn't go out and grab it and make God accept and love us? This is grace. But I also love how Paul talks about salvation because he says the grace of God which has appeared in Jesus that brings salvation for all people. 
for all people. Now, I, now, just to be clear, I don't think that Paul is saying that there's no need to tell people about grace because everyone's already heard this good news. Now, there's still work to be done to transmit hope. There are still people. This is part of the reason why Paul sent Titus to the island of Crete because there are still people that needed to know and hear this wonderful, great news. The life with God is available. This is why we're still called to transmit hope. This is why Jesus sends us in Judea and Jerusalem and all the surrounding areas to proclaim and demonstrate the reality of God's good kingdom. So it's not that everyone has already heard this news already. And it's also, I don't think, that Paul's saying that everyone will ultimately one day be saved. But what I think Paul is saying is that there's one salvation for all people. It doesn't matter where you're from or what your upbringing is or what your background is. There is one salvation for all people. There is one way, and that is through the grace that has appeared in Jesus Christ. There's one way. There's not one way that leads to good life for some and another leads to a good life for others. And depending on your flavor and your preferences that you may find the good and the best eternal life in whatever way you want to. Indeed, Paul says there is one way to have eternal kind of life, and that is by the grace that has appeared in Jesus Christ. This is why Peter in the, in the book of Acts is teaching, and he, write, or he says this, it's recorded in Acts chapter 4. He says that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And while there is one Salvation that is offered, one grace that is offered to all people, regardless of your background, regardless of your upbringing, regardless of anything else. It is the grace that has appeared in Jesus that is available to any and all who would ever receive. That's grace. That's grace. There's another truth that Paul talks about grace, and that is that not only does grace offer or bring salvation, but grace also teaches us. It is grace that teaches us how to live and empowers and strengthens and encourages us how to live. We don't learn this on our own. We don't manufacture it on our own. This life that God has called us, this life that God has always intended us to live, we don't do this on our own. We need someone to teach us, to model, to walk with us, to encourage us, to strengthen us along. And Paul says the one who does that is God's grace. God's power at work in our life to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, to teach us to renounce ungodliness. It's grace. In verse 12 of our passage, it, which refers to grace, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. In the here and now, right now, that we can learn how to live our life the way God intended us to live our life, in alignment with his goodness and his standard, and we need to learn how to do that, and how we learn is by grace. Not by reading 2,000 more books or studying more things, but it's all grace. We learn by God's grace. We submit to it, we receive it, but we learn by grace. Because left on our own powers, left on our own thinking, well, then we'll drift towards patterns that are unhealthy, right? We'll drift towards patterns of least resistance where we'll just keep going and doing what we've always done and those things that are unhealthy and damaging to our own soul and to the souls of others. But grace, 
the power of God at work in our life to do for us what we could not or would not do for ourselves, well, it teaches us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, but it empowers and encourages and strengthens us to live godly, upright, self-controlled lives right now. Right now. Again, if you're a note taker, this is one of these things I would write down every time you get a chance to. There's something worth noticing about grace. Because grace is not just about forgiveness, it's about life. We need grace for salvation, for forgiveness, for setting our life right with God. We do, but we need grace for life to teach and empower and strengthen us. We need the work of God on our behalf to do for us what we could not do or would not do on our own to teach us how to live in this present age. See, the more I follow Jesus, the more I need grace. Not the less I need it, the more I need it. Because grace will teach and strengthen me to do what God would have me to do. While there certainly are things that I am to do, there are certainly things that we can train ourselves and cooperate with grace, none of that will be productive unless it's the grace of God that comes in and cooperates with us and empowers us to live the life that God has called us to live. While there's certainly things that we can learn and memorize and, and discipline ourselves to do and to think and to be active in those things, none of that will be productive unless the grace of God comes in and interacts with us so that it's not us that is living, but it is the grace of God through us. And our job is to receive and to sit with God's grace. This is why I think the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians chapter 2, and he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, or in the body, I memorized it in the flesh, sorry. In the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is not I who am living under my own strength, but I am submitting myself and I'm receiving, and it is the grace of God that is living inside me, teaching me to renounce that which is ungodly and worldly passions and, in, and encouraging me to live self-controlled, godly, upright lives right now. Right now. Teaching and leading me along the way. So as a follower of Jesus, I'm learning not to trust in my own strength, but as the old hymn says, I'm wholly lean on Jesus' name. Christ alone. It is by grace that I have been saved, but it is by grace that I live and is powered, empowered by the grace of God. But grace does another thing in our life because grace helps us to anticipate the blessed hope that we have in Christ when he returns. Verses 13 and 14 in our passage. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that is very own, eager to do what is good. Here's another, just a little side note. I shared this in the first service. I think it's important to share as well. This is a great depiction, by the way, of the divinity of Jesus. There are some that would claim, that are a little skeptical of the Christian life, that they would claim that Jesus was a good moral teacher. He was a good person, kind of walked around, did some things, and helped some people along the way. But 
his divine nature or claiming to be God or his followers didn't ever really thought he was God. And that was some rumor that got started hundreds or even, you know, 50, 60, 100 years or so after that. But here Paul is writing this letter to his friend Titus about 25 years, maybe 30 years, depending on your, on your calendar stuff, 25, 30 years after the death of Jesus. And he's reminding Titus really shortly after of the divinity of Jesus. That he clearly believes that God, our Savior, is Jesus. Jesus is God, the second person of the Trinity. This wasn't something that came up you know, hundreds of years after, but this was a belief right in the very early of the church. And so hope or, or grace teaches us to have this blessed hope in our Savior, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus coming again, the re- renewal of life all over. And while there's some debate surrounding the specifics about Jesus' second coming, the timing of it and the events that surround it. The important truth, the important thing for us to really hold on to this morning is that Jesus is indeed returning. That Jesus will one day come and return and set his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And until that day, until that day comes, we are to be empowered and to live by grace. To live in preparation for that day. For when he comes, we will be ready. We will be ready. Waiting is not passive. There's an active expectation to this waiting. That we don't just sit in a corner waiting for this thing to happen one day, but we are active, participating, expecting, living in preparation for this. For grace, the power of God in our life, will teaches us to be aware that Christ is coming. Christ is returning. He teaches us to long for that day, to desire that day. It teaches us to live according to God's reality right now in preparation for when that day finally comes, that we will be ready and we will be at home in his kingdom. There's work for us to do, in other words, as we anticipate the second coming of Jesus. Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That we are to be active in doing what God has prepared us to do. In other words, we have a purpose in our life to not simply wait idly in some corner to wait for the end to come and Jesus kind of sort everything out, but we are called to do good in this present age, empowered by the grace of God, to be prepared when he finally does come. And he fully establishes his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. This is how we live in the present age, fueled by and empowered by grace to prepare us to do and to bring about the kingdom things on earth. All this is grace. There are things we do for sure. We are to be active. We are to be doing things, but we're not doing it on our own strength. The strength comes from God. The fuel is not ours. It's the grace of God to do for us what we could not or would not do on our own. So if that's grace, and if a life well lived is fueled by grace, is founded by grace, and yet we're to be active, how do you live in that balance? How do you live in a balance where we're to be active in doing things and yet not manipulating to force things to happen the way we want them to happen? And there are lots of ways that you can discipline yourself. There are lots of ways to to practice this kind of thing. This morning, I'm just going to invite us to consider one. 
just one practice that we can engage in on a regular basis to train ourselves to be active in preparation for the kingdom and yet trusting in the grace of God and receptive for the grace of God to be working in our life. Just one practice that we can do, and that is to learn to train ourselves to rest. Rest. Oh, I don't know what that was. It's taking a rest. He's resting, just relaxing back there. Learn to rest. Don't force things to happen, but learn to rest. See, grace will teach us that we don't have to that we don't have to live this Christian life under our own strength, but we live it under the strength of God. In fact, we can't live this life under our own strength. We have to live under the strength of God. While we are participants, we are not the only one active here. And any growth in the Christian life will only be the result of our cooperation with the Spirit of God in our life. So we need to learn to rest and to trust in the power of God to work what He will do in our life, to bring about the character transformation in our life, to bring about healing in our life, to bring about restoration in our life, to bring about forgiveness in our life. We need to do some things be active, but we need to learn to trust in the power of God to do for us what we cannot do in our life. Trusting in the grace of God, the power of God. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, he describes what he calls a thorn in his flesh. We don't know exactly what it was. It might have been a physical issue, might have been a relationship issue, might have been a spiritual issue, a, a mental issue, or something else, but he describes a thorn in his flesh, and he did everything he could to deal with it, everything in his own strength to deal with it. And he even pleaded with the Lord. He said, I pleaded with the God to take this away from me over and over again. It was, it was at the end of his rope. He had nothing else to do. And the response that God gave him, he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Paul struggled with this issue. He did everything in his power, but at the end of the day, God's call on him was to not trust in your strength to deal with this issue, Paul, but trust that my grace is sufficient for you. You can strive all you want, Paul. You can do all that you want, Paul, but you need to learn to grow in the knowledge of my grace my power at work in your life to do for you what you cannot or would not do for yourself, and it is sufficient. It is sufficient. So here's what I'm going to ask us to do. How do we discipline ourselves to rest and to trust in grace? Here's what we need to do. I want to invite us to a time of prayerful reflection to think about a thing or an issue in our life where we need to be self-controlled or upright, godly lives, or a character issue in our life that we've been working on. I've been working on patience or forgiveness or kindness or some character issue in your life that you've been working on, pleading with God to see some transformation in this. Or maybe it's a forgiveness issue or it's a relational conflict between you and a coworker. 
or you and a family member, and you've been pleading to God to intervene in this, that you would say the right thing, or that you would have a right conversation, or that that friend of yours would finally turn their life over to God, and you've had every conversation, you've laid out every every blueprint you can think of, that reason they should give their life to Jesus, and yet they're hesitant. Something is weighing on you. Why don't you think about some issue that you've been struggling with or something that you've been wrestling with for some time. And I want you to hear the word of God to you this morning and to me this morning. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace. You can strive all you want, but no lasting change is going to happen until we trust the power of God. You may want character transformation in your heart like nobody's business. You might have been pleading for it to take that sinful desire that you have, that temptation that you fall victim to. You've been pleading for God, God, take that from me. And you've been striving and you've been striving, but you haven't rested in the grace of God to be sufficient for you. The grace of God that is not just about forgiveness but is about living is sufficient. And our job is to rest. Do what we can but trust in the grace of God to be sufficient for you and for me. So here's what I want to ask us to do. Prayerful reflection simply means I want you to take that issue that you're thinking about, that character issue, the relational issue, the forgiveness issue, that that thing that you've been striving for, and whatever image represents that. Maybe it's a person's face. Maybe it's some other image that represents that. I want you to bring that image to your mind, and visibly I want you to feel like you are laying it down at the foot of the cross and hear from the Word of God that he says his grace is sufficient for you. His grace is sufficient for you. And while we can do what we do on our side, we trust and rest in the grace of God. I don't know how long you've been following Jesus. Maybe you're still curious about him. I don't know what you've been struck by and what you've been struggling through. I know what I've been struggling through. I know it's way too easy for me to grab the reins in my own hands and try to manipulate things and make people do what I want them to do. And I need to let go. Trust in the grace of God to be sufficient in those relationships. It's not that I stopped caring. I care deeply. It's not that I stopped trying to have conversations. I do every time I get a chance. But in the midst of it, I am learning to let go of the need to manipulate others so they would say yes when I want them to say yes and trusting God that his grace is sufficient for this person in my life.
His grace. I hope that you would hear that. I hope that you would receive that. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. And I'm praying for me that I would hear that with the people that I struggle with. That I would learn to wholly trust in Jesus' name. Not just for forgiveness, but for life in this present age. To learn to live according to his way. Let me pray for you guys and for us as we go. God, I can think of a couple of situations that feel like Paul with this thorn in his flesh. Things that I have, you know what they are. You, we've talked about them for quite a while now. And I confess that there are times more often than not that I seek to have more control over this situation. But what I'm realizing is that this situation needs more of your grace and not more of me talking. This situation needs more of your grace and less of me forcing conversation or my agenda. I need more of your grace. Amen.